Estrela Alva brilha em mim. Please stand by. We'll be streaming live. Morning, good afternoon, whatever time you're watching this. Um, my name is Andy Hines, and uh, we have been studying the Gospel of Mark, but I felt like the Lord wanted to veer off of that for a little bit, and um, and we'll 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 certainly come back and finish it. But uh, I saw this book, Taking the Limits Off of God. A friend of mine gave me this, and I read it, and it was so powerful and impactful that I thought. I just sensed the Lord wanted us to, to, to kind of walk through some of the points that are brought up in here. Um, I have been concerned for quite a while, and I, and I, I read several books about uh, thriving in Babylon and living in Babylon. And, and um, of course, the government has changed. Uh, we have socialists and communists that are trying to take over our government and, and have been running it. So let's face it, Christianity is not in the position that it was 30 years ago. It's just not. And so I've been asking the Lord, how do we deal with this? And so uh, I'm going to develop a, a six-class series on, on living in Babylon based on what I've been reading. And um, uh, I've been reading a lot of books and pulling in a lot of information from a lot of people. And this guy, Dr. James Richards, uh, book is just fits right into what I want to do, and I want to share with you a couple of points uh, that are brought up in here, and I think uh, I'm going to be, I'm going to develop six one-hour classes on the subject of living in Babylon. How do we as Christians live today in the environment that we, the political environment uh, that we find ourselves in, and uh, one of the, the first Subject. The first class that that and it's very obvious to me is uh, the basic foundations. What are our what are our beliefs? Our basic beliefs that we that we have as believers. Uh, George Barna just did recent uh, survey and uh, basically found out that one out of every five Christians has a people that that claim that they're Christians have a biblical worldview, and that translates to about 6% of the population of this country have a biblical worldview. So it's no wonder that things uh, are, you know, uh, declining as far as what we're concerned. So one of the things that I want to concentrate on, and this book uh, brings to light, is the basic foundations of what the Scriptures say, what Jesus said, and how to deal with those uh, I, I'm a firm believer that for the church to be effective, we don't need more preaching. Uh, we need more works. We need more of the things that Jesus said we would do. And uh, uh, this gentleman uh, brings up some great points. So I'm going to start here. And I want to bring up, he, he, he makes his comment, um, although I started out with a supernatural walk with the Lord, eventually... I found myself in the very trap I wanted to avoid. I was limiting God by seeing Him not as He really is, but as I had been taught in religion. Um, and then, he, and then I, I would, I just saw this, and it just lit up like a Christmas tree in me. The 20th century church is a product of years of unbelief handed down from generation to generation. Um, 
And I thought immediately when when uh, when he read that, I thought of the story uh, where the the man brought Jesus to Jesus, a little boy that was being thrown in the fire and being um, a demon was throwing him in the fire. And he said, I took him to your disciples and they could not cast him out. And Jesus' response to that was, oh, you unbelieving generation. And now, what's really interesting about that story is that Jesus had already given these guys all the power that they need to cast out demons. And uh, so then he, he, he went to this man, cast out the demon, and the father's great line, I believe, help my unbelief. And um, afterwards, the disciples said, why couldn't we cast him out? And Jesus made a comment that has been misinterpreted, I, I believe, for years. He says, this kind only comes out by fasting and prayer. And if you look at footnotes in Bibles and you look, read commentators and stuff, they say uh, that, that, that this demon was one that you need to come out with fasting and prayer. No, it wasn't the demon that he was talking about. He'd already given them power over demons. The, what he was talking about was their unbelief. Um, they attacked this thing and, and they just didn't believe they could do it. So we want to understand how to move forward in Babylon and have an effect. Okay, When the church is losing its uh, foundation, uh, in fact, uh, if you turn to uh, Psalms chapter 11 and read verse 3, this is one of my favorite verses, and I'll be reading it from the modern English version, Psalm. 11 verse 3 says this, If the foundations are broken, what can the righteous do? If the foundations are broken, what can the righteous do? And we look around in our country and we can see that our foundations are cracking. And many of them are broken. So, we want to pursue this. Uh, we want to pursue the Lord and... Um, Find out what he has to say about this. And I think there's some things in here that should really encourage you. Number one, um, I have limited God by seeing him as I'd been taught. That's, that's, that's the, the premise here. And I remember uh, when I first got saved, there was a ten-year period when I got saved and when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And, and uh, it, during that ten-year ten period, I was taught religion. I was taught, um, nobody taught me about the love of God. You have to understand, I got saved in a reform school, and it was a loudmouth Baptist preacher from Hammond, Indiana, that, taught, that, that threw a, a turn-or-burn sermon at us. His name was Fred Stanfield. I, I made the Lord a promise every time I ever gave a testimony, I'd tell Fred's name. And I got saved not because of anything about the love of God. I didn't want to go to hell. So that's why I got saved. I was, I man, I... It was in Indiana in the summer. It was hot. I didn't want any more of that. So I said, that's why I got saved. I didn't want to go to hell. Ten years, I got all this teaching from, from various Baptist churches and, uh, and, I, and Methodist churches as well. So I'm not just picking on the Baptists. Let's just say denominations. And, and uh, they taught me things like, uh, well, it may not be God's will for you to be healed uh, because He might want you sick. And uh, he might want to teach you something through that. And uh, I even had a pastor stand up in, in church and say, uh, sometimes uh, the devil will heal you and God will make you sick just to confuse you. 
And um, uh, and uh, after I met with the pastor, they asked us to leave the church. So um, I felt pretty good. I read Wesley's journal, and, and uh, there was a period of several months where every time he preached, they told him not to come back. So I felt like I was in pretty good company. Um, we have limited God to the unbelief of our predecessors. That I was taught that all the problems that I had in reform school and, and, and so forth was um, uh, God's way of, uh, of, in fact, I remember saying, boy, I remember the pastor when we got saved, when we got married, my wife and I got married, the pastor pointed at me and said, God's going to jerk the slack out of you, boy. You need to get straightened up as if it was something I could do. So um, uh, we were listening to that. And um, in 1978, uh, a quick part of the story, um, bear with me on this because this is, this is important because it tells you where I was coming from and where most of us are coming from. I go to church. My wife and I re- regularly attended church. I read the Bible all the time. And I go to church and the pastor gets up. He's a former Dodgers pitcher in the 50s. He gets up and he says, everybody that speaks in tongues, get out of here. Okay? I don't know. I've never heard speaks in tongues. What speaks in tongues? He said, oh, it's bad. Don't do it. So that was my that was Sunday. Wednesday I go to Wednesday night church, which we used to do all the time. And I go in there, and the guy says, um, "Guess who's giving his testimony on Sunday?" I don't have a clue who it was. And, and and he looks around and he goes, "It's Jim Wilson." And everybody in the room just oh, you know, something's obviously wrong with Jim Wilson. And I and I ask him, I said, "What's wrong with Jim Wilson?" And they go, "He speaks in tongues." What speaks in tongues? Well, it's bad, brother. You don't have anything to do with it. So I said, well, if it's bad, why are we having him speak here? Well, nobody answered that. So I go to church on Sunday. Now, this is a week. I go to church on Sunday, and uh, Jim Wilson's the first guy I see, and I hear his testimony. He said, I was an alcoholic and a wife beater, and Jesus Christ changed my life. And I thought, man, nobody else has said anything like that around here. I go to ch- go into the sermons, part two, all you people that speak in tongues, get out of the church. And I'm, I'm now I'm fed up with it. What speak, Frank? What speaks in tongues? It's bad. Don't get involved in it. Okay. Well, now you know. Tell a kid not to have his hand in the cookie jar. And where's he going to go? He's going to go to the cookie jar. So I leave. Guess who the first person I run into is? It's Jim Wilson. And I said, Hey, I hear you're into this speaking in tongues thing. And he said, Yeah. He says, I got a Bible study on Tuesday night. Come. All right. So I go to the Bible study, and. Um, uh, this is 1978, and there's like 15 guys in there. And when I opened the door, they handed me an ashtray and a cup of coffee. And I go in, and the Bible teacher is the only guy in there who's not smoking. And I'll never forget. His name is Larry Roberts. He's a great man of God. And I go in the room, and, and, and he goes, Brother, what brings you in here? He couldn't even see me because of all the smoke. And um, then I told him I, you know, my life was goofed up and I needed help. So he... He began to teach about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I I looked at it, and and um, I'll never forget. Uh, I told Julia she she was about ready to divorce me. We'd only been married a few, you know, less than a year, and um, she was ready to divorce me because of drugs and alcohol, and and um, and boy, I didn't want that. But I didn't, you know, I didn't know how to get out of the mess that I was in because God may have wanted me in there to teach me something. So anyway. I got out, and uh, no sooner uh, did I go to this Bible study. She says, where are you going? I said, I'm going to Bible study. She says, 
Well, what time? Because I'd never done that before. What time? I said, well, it starts at 8 o'clock. It's a Baptist Bible study. It'll be over at 9 o'clock. I'll be home about 9.30. Or 9.50. Okay. So I go, and I have a Bible that I had marked, and we didn't have highlighters in those days. We had green pen. We had various colored pens, and I had everything underlined. And uh, this guy starts going through the Bible, and everything that I had underlined that I said doesn't happen today, the Holy Spirit quickened to me. And he went through, I'll bet you, eight of them. And all of a sudden, I remember sitting there, and I, and I held my Bible up, and it was like, oh, my God, this thing's true. It's true. And uh, I and I realized I hadn't gone to the... I'd been drinking coffee all night. I hadn't gone to the bathroom. I looked up. It was 11.30. And uh, Ju- I hadn't told Julia or anything. So I called her, and she's mad. Where are you? And I said, look, I can't explain it. I'll be home as soon as it's over. I'm still at the Bible study. Bible study? You're still... Yeah, yeah, okay. So I go in, and these guys, I get... Uh, they asked me, they said, do you want to get baptized in the Holy Spirit? I said, yeah. They said, okay. So they all stood around me. Like 14 guys, they had put the little charismatic chair in there and they all lay around me and, and, and they said, um, do you want to get baptized in the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Do you want to get the gift of tongues? Yeah. Well, you know, tongues and all this stuff, it didn't seem, if, if, if God's involved, that's not a big deal. That just didn't seem like something that was that big a deal to me. And I liked the idea because of the way he explained it. I said, yeah, I want to speak in tongues. I said, okay. So they all started praying and one guy over here started speaking in a language I didn't like. And I, in the middle of the prayer, I go, time out. He said, what's the matter? I said, I don't want to pray in tongues if I'm going to sound like him. He said, well, what do you want to sound like? And I, and I thought, I said, well, if I'm going to pray in tongues, I want it to sound like it's German or Russian. Oh, okay, he says. So everybody started praying. He said, you pray in English and everybody else pray in the Spirit. And they laid hands on me and I opened my mouth and I sound like I've been speaking German my whole life. And... Um, uh, they prayed for me, and on the way home, now it's interesting, I had uh, warts all over my feet and my legs from, from my job. I was, I, I was in lawn care, and I had big rubber steel-toed boots, and I had warts everywhere. We tried, we went to the doctor, we poured acid on them, we did everything. We couldn't get rid of them, they were very painful. And on the way home, I realized that my feet didn't hurt. And I also, I had... Uh, shall we say, the, the Bible called them emrods. Uh, they were tumors and um, uh, uh, hemorrhoids. And I had to have uh, surgery. And that is painful, as many of you probably know. And um, so I get home and I take off my shoes. There's not a ward anywhere on me. And then I, I go and check and all my hemorrhoids are gone. I got healed instantly and bang. After that... Um, they kicked me out of the church because they could take all the other stuff. They couldn't take the tongues. Now, I share that story with you because, A, it's indicative of what happens when the Holy Spirit gets involved and you get religion out of the way. That's what we're talking about right now. In order to be successful in Babylon, we have to do that. Uh, and I will share one other part of the story, and, and I uh, bear with me for this. It, and... Uh, in that part of the story, I went back and a guy gave me some tapes. And he said, you need to listen to these tapes. And it was the uh, uh, four-tape series, cassette tape, The Parable of the Sower. Happened to be in the worst blizzard they'd had in Ohio in 100 years, so I couldn't work. So I'm in my apartment. We had a brand-new 
style coffee maker called a Mr. Coffee. I'm making coffee. I got a brand new pack of cigarettes. I got my new Schofield Bible there, and I sit down and I start listening to this, the parable of the sower, and I realize that God's not my problem. I have an enemy out there, and his name's Satan. Satan is the one that steals, kills, and destroys, not God. So my whole life changed in a pivot in 1978. Two weeks later, my wife gets baptized in the Holy Spirit, and bang, we're off in, the, in a journey with the Lord. Now, I had limited God in His ability to work because, A, I didn't know about it, and B, um, I just assumed it was like it was. I was told. God doesn't heal anymore because of these things. Now, um, if we're not seeing miracles in our day, we must acknowledge that God hasn't changed. Now, the miracles were there. Jesus, if you believe what Jesus said in John 3.16, you have to believe what He said in John 14.12. He said, the same miracles I do, the same will you do, and greater. Okay, now, um, He goes on and He says, if you look at Psalm 78, turn to Psalm 78, 41 through 43. And I want you to, again, I'm going to be reading from the... um, Modern English version. I really like this translation. Um, 41 to 43. It said, They tested God over and over and provoked the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember His power nor the day when He delivered them from the enemy. How He had performed signs in Egypt and His wonders in the fields of Zoan. Now, At that point, uh, we find out that they didn't believe in the power of God. They didn't believe. They they didn't trust Him. They didn't believe that He could do what He said He would do. And when looking at the enemy, they compared themselves to the enemy instead of comparing their enemy to God. Um, And Hebrews 4.2. If you turn to Hebrews 4, um, I want to read... Hebrews 4, in fact, you can start right back up at um, verse 16 in chapter 3. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Was it not all of those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he grieved for 40 years? Was it not those who had sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who disobeyed? So we see they could not enter the promised land and the rest because of their unbelief. Verse Chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, since the promise of entering His rest remains, let us fear lest any of you come short of it. In verse 2, For the gospel was preached to them and us, but the word preached did not benefit them because it was not mixed in faith with those who heard it. Now, one of the biggest challenges that we find, and I, and I just throw this out and ask you to take a look at it, we go to church and we have prayer lines and we pray for people, but nothing very very rarely does anything ever happen, and if it does happen, nobody really pays any attention to it. We pray for things like headaches, and the guy says, "Well, my headache's gone." Now, well, that's good. That's good. What about the guy with the broken arm? What about the guy that? has cancer? What about the, the all of these other things that we pray for? We pray for them, uh, but we really, I guess we don't believe that 
anything's going to happen. And um, uh, you have to be very careful when you're praying because we're not seeing the results that Jesus did. Let's just be honest. We're not seeing the results. Me either. I've seen some results, but not like I should be seeing. Not like not like we should be seeing at all. Now, um, when the you go back to Mark chapter one, one of the reasons that we studied the book of Mark, you go back to Mark chapter one, and you see Jesus constantly going someplace, and he, he can't keep the people away. He cannot keep the people away because of the works that he's doing. He says later in John, if you don't believe me what I say, believe because of the works I'm doing. So he's doing some stuff that's pretty good. And the Gospel of John, John tells us um, if all the things that he had done had been written in a book, the world couldn't contain the books. But these things are written that you may believe. So we go to the Gospel and we see what he did. And those things are written so that we can believe. Now, You have to be what I would call, you have to make a quality decision. Uh, and a quality decision is defined as one about which there's no argument and from which there's no retreat. So when you make a quality decision, that's it, and I'm, I'm, I'm not backing off of it. Um, healing is probably the one thing that's the most uh, difficult to deal with because uh, people... Say, well, I've tried that. It didn't work. I prayed for Uncle John. He died and so forth and so on. Okay? Um, everybody we pray for is going to die at some point in time. And you'll hear things like, well, um, we prayed for Uncle John and he died, but he got ultimate healing when he went to heaven. I don't believe there is such a thing as ultimate healing. The guy died. He's dead. Now he's in heaven and he's enjoying the fruits of his of, of, uh, of heaven. But he wasn't healed. He died. That's not the same thing. And um, uh, the idea of ultimate healing, is I don't believe it's in the Scriptures. I think that's something that religion has come up with. But um, we prayed for, my wife and I prayed for several people as we began to realize that we're not seeing the miracles we could. So we take the gospel and we talk to people. And we talk to one woman about healing. She had cancer. And uh, we good friend of ours. We loved her. She's a tremendous woman. She was in her 40s. And um, uh, we talked to her, do you believe this? And yes, I believe this. And, and her husband was all on board. We'd take the Scriptures. They'd pray. They'd believe in everything. And then and then, uh, then when we found out, she died. And then what we found out was that after we would pray, other people were coming in and making plans for her funeral. What do you want your casket to look like and so forth and so on. So this is what James is talking about, being double-minded. Um, you can't pray for healing and then make plans for a funeral. Guess which one's going to win? There's no faith in that. You've got more faith in, the, in the, the funeral. Now, I could go on and 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 tell you about people that have been healed, but you don't hear about those. All you ever hear about are the people, well, we prayed for you know Uncle John and he died. Now, Let's go on and look at um, when he says that they were not their 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 the word wasn't mixed with faith. They heard it, it got into their head, but it didn't get into their heart. They didn't act on it. Um, let's go on and say um, the world looks at the church 
failing to enter into the abundant life and concludes that faith does not work. No prayers are answered. None of the miracles of Jesus. Now, I was in a church that my wife and I had been in for 25 years. And uh, the, the Holy Spirit had moved there for years or they changed pastors. And I remember uh, I gave a message in tongues and uh, as I had before. And the pastor told me, the new pastor said, well, I've never heard that before. Don't do that again. And after several times being in the church, um, I remember the first time I can ever, and I knew then I was in trouble, uh, there, I was leaning against the sound booth and he went into the sermon and I remember pulling my phone up and I remember saying as clear as a bell, I wonder what the Braves are doing. So I started looking up to see what the Braves' schedule was, if Glavin was pitching today or whatever. And, and the Holy Spirit just convicted me and said, you need another church. You need to move to where the Spirit's moving. So anyway, we did that. So my point is, we can't be double-minded. Jesus either said what He said and meant it, or He didn't say what. He didn't, it doesn't mean anything. Okay. Now, um, when we first accept Christ, we're delivered from slavery, and we must now enter into the inheritance that He gave us. Uh, it's the promised land and the abundant life. If you go to John 10.10, favorite scripture, Jesus said, The thief comes but for to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. The word life is zoe. And I heard a guy describe the word zoe as the life that makes God God. It's the life that makes God God. We have that life within us. Romans 8.11 says, If the Spirit who raised Christ from the dead lives in you, then He will quicken your mortal body. Well, the word quicken means bring to life. So, we could go and spend a lot of time going through looking at healing and we find out that God's all for healing. That was paid for in the, uh, when, we, when He died on the cross. He paid the price for the healing of our body and the forgiveness of our sins. Now, we jump on the forgiveness of our sins, but we miss the healing of our body. Why is that? Why do we do that? If we can't trust Him for healing, why do we trust Him for salvation? Why do we believe anything he said? Because, I mean, it's as clear as a bell. You go to uh, Mark chapter 11, he says, you, you know, have faith in God. If you can make this mountain move, if you believe what you say is going to come to pass, you'll have what you say. Now, I've read footnotes on that from study Bibles, which I don't pay any attention to anymore. But I read footnotes on that, and, and I, my favorite footnote was, well, Jesus didn't mean you could have what you say. Well, why did he say it then? How do I know he meant that you could be saved? That he was the only way? Maybe he meant something else. Now, I think he meant exactly what he said, and he said what he meant. Now, um, I want to go on, and I, I want to look, I want to give you three, three questions that we need to deal with before, that you just need to deal with. So I'll call these questions out. One, why is it so hard for us to take the Bible at face value? in the areas of healing, prosperity, and deliverance. Why is that? Question number two. Why do we have so much trouble accepting that the promises in the Bible are for us? Question number three. Why have we lost the ability to accept the plain sense of the Word of God? It means what it says. 
Um, again, uh, we confess with our mouths, but we waver in our hearts. And you look at James 1 6. James chapter 1, verse 6 through 8. But let him ask in faith without wavering, without being duo minded. For he who wavers is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Let not a man think he will receive anything from the Lord. For a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. You will receive nothing, nada, yet, zero, zippo, zilch from the Lord because you're double-minded. In example, I'm playing and believing God for healing cancer, but I'm making plans for my funeral. That's the classic double-minded. And... Um, uh, and in how it got cemented, I remember at her memorial service, uh, her brother stood up, good man, good guy. He, he was tremendous help to her. But he got up and he said, a lot of people prayed for her healing, and the reason she didn't get healed was because God didn't want her healed. Okay, that answers a lot of questions. That, that answered a lot of questions about the whole family. And um, uh, so... Uh, now, I want you to think about those three questions. Why is it hard for us to take the Bible at face value in areas of healing, prosperity, and deliverance? Why do we have so much trouble accepting the promises in the Bible are for us? And why have we lost the ability to accept the plain sense of the Word of God? We'll look at that in the next session. I'm going to close with prayer. Father, thank You so much for this time. We ask You to open our hearts and eyes, Father, to see the Word function and help us to be what you called us to be father and we thank you for that in jesus name amen all right see you next session